If we can't talk to each other, we're not going to make it. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I've been on more than I can chew. Most of the time, I work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life. A face full of glass hurts like hell when you're in it. That's weird. That glass looks half full to me. Eating glass. Eating glass and staring into the abyss. Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? Who the fuck is this? It's kind of part of our culture to eat glass. Gotta get some safety goggles next time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Chewing Glass, the show where we speak to developers building in the Solana ecosystem. Today's a special episode. We're actually going to do something different. We actually have Jordan Sexton here from Solana Labs. Um, he's been a huge contributor to the ecosystem, everything from wallet adapter to Solana Pay. If you don't know him from his code, you probably know him from his shirtless selfies on the internet. He's actually come to come into his own as one of the greatest ship posters um, in the organization, to be honest. Uh, so super stoked to have you here, Jordan. Um, how's it going, man? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for uh, doing this. We've been talking for a long time. It's cool to cool to come on here. Yeah, I think we've known each other, like, I think probably, probably like roughly like two years. I think over time we sort of started talking less and less. You're, you're a popular man these days in the, in the coding world. Um, and so the way we usually start this show out is, is sort of just like find out about Jordan and, and sort of your story and, and sort of where you got started just to really sort of start to paint a picture of like how you started into where you are now. So like, let's say post-graduation, Jordan Sexton is now ready to get into engineering. I'm assuming like, what was your sort of journey there? Like the types of companies you worked for, the sort of programming language you were working on, like, like what were you doing? So I went to college for two years. I studied economics and finance. I didn't study computer science. Um, I had been doing search engine optimization and building websites uh, for quite a while before that. I didn't really think of that as like a career necessarily. It's just like something I started doing as a hobby when I was younger. Um, and, you know, I, I paid for college with it. But, um, yeah, I was just like I was thinking about doing something with finance, stock market. Um, I found economics really interesting. So anyway, I did that for a while and I sort of just felt like um, I didn't really have a clear path of what I wanted to do in school anymore. I wasn't excited about uh, the school that I was going to. And so I dropped out and um, then I was like, oh man, like, you know, now what am I going to do? And so again, like I hadn't really considered it as like a career, but it was like, I was already getting paid to do this. I liked doing it. And so I was like, why don't I just do this full time? Um, So the first like real programming job that I had was at a company in Denver that did um, like... 3D animation and medical illustration for things like accident reconstruction, uh, complex patent litigation, other stuff. Um, It's a company called High Impact. So So did you have to like train yourself on the engineering side before that? Or did you just sort of learn as you go, like once you joined that company? Uh, It was like, so the only stuff that I'd done before that was HTML, JavaScript, CSS, right? Um, And so at that company, I had to learn... Uh, PHP, because that's what their backend was, and that was like the language du jour at the time, and um, SQL. The devil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was like, this was before Rails. Um, man, I don't even remember if there was much of a PHP framework that we used. It was like, it was like back uh, even before WordPress, um, just like right. really rough. Uh, so doing that a lot, kind of learning as I went. Um, I worked for that company and a couple of like design and PR agencies uh, building interactive sites. Um, and so I started getting more and more into like front end development of like more complex applications. So jQuery. Yeah, well, I did use jQuery uh, and, you know, Backbone and a bunch of other custom frameworks. Um, I used uh, MXML which was like an XML-based language for Mapremediate Flex. Horrible. Well, yeah, so it was interesting. I mean, it was like, okay, so it was horrible. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get to something later because I think it's, it was like looking back at it, it was actually very informative for some later stuff that I did. Um, so yeah, uh, did a lot of that kind of stuff. 
Um, built a lot of really interactive applications, started using JavaScript more and more. Um, and there was a period of time on the web where like, the applications that you could build in JavaScript were just not as good or as smooth or as interactive as the applications you could build in Flash. But Flash was really limiting, um, especially on mobile, which was growing at the time. Um, so like, this was like right before the first iPhone came out. Um, and I ended up building like an interactive JavaScript site that felt very much like Flash. Um, and it was like pushing the boundaries of, you know, what you could do with JavaScript and how smooth it could feel. Cool. Nice. So you did all that for a while. Like, I know that you ended up in Chicago. Like, I'm assuming that you like were into some finance stuff. So like, like sort of like, how did you, how did you end up there? And like, what were you doing once you made it um, into, into one of the coldest places on the planet? Yeah, well, so I grew up in Chicago, so I was, like, used to it being cold at least for a while, uh, and then I lived, like, in Colorado, I lived in California, and then moved back to Chicago. So I was back in Chicago, um, and this was after, uh, you know, working for a couple of startups um, in California, and I met these uh, two women from the University of Chicago that were looking for a technical co-founder for a business that they had. Um, and I joined them and we worked on this, uh, thing for like five years and it was basically like an Uber for, um, like beauty and hairstylists, right? This was like the age of like Uber for anything. But I'm not surprised about that, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I was like, uh, had done that for a long time. Oh, and that's, that's sort of where it connects to like MXML. So I started working on that in... I think 2014, um, and React had just come out. Um, and so, uh, like, Facebook had used React internally, and Instagram had used it, and they sort of just, like, publicly released it at the time. And there was a lot of skepticism about React um, because Angular uh, was already out. There were a bunch of JavaScript frameworks, and React was doing things very differently. Um, and I looked at it and it just like, it clicked for me immediately. And the reason for that is because of ActionScript for Flash and MXML. So like MXML is very, very similar to JSX in React. Like you have this declarative custom XML based syntax that you can extend with custom components and you can like drop ActionScript right into it, just like you can drop JavaScript right into JSX. Um, and fundamentally, it all gets compiled to like ActionScript and to you know ActionScript uh, bytecode for like the Flash virtual machine, just like J- JSX gets transpiled down to JavaScript. Um, and so when I saw this, and like there was a lot of there was a lot of debate around the, the time w- about like you know two way data binding and like essentially like the data reactivity model of these JavaScript frameworks. Um, Angular used this, and I had used that in MXML, and I saw where it didn't work. And sort of the one-way data binding flow of React really made a ton of sense to me. Um, so I started using it immediately at this startup in 2014, and then started using React Native uh, in 2015 when it came out. I, I wanted to sort of ask you also, like, I we've talked about this in the past, so I know that you actually had some exposure or actually even before that, before we talk about the, the software development for other blockchains, like what was your actual first exposure to blockchain in the first place? Like, like trading, whatever it might've been, like, did you just start investing in it? Like, was it, was it something that you were interested in? Like, like what was the, what was that? And like, how did you sort of get into crypto in the first place? Yeah. So let's see, while I was working at um, the stylus company in Chicago, that was like a, it was a full stack kind of thing. Um, and I guess I, I identified for like a full stack as like a full stack developer, um, maybe ever since I started working with PHP and SQL and stuff like that, still worked in JavaScript, but, but did a lot on the server. And there was a guy that I worked with, um, there who, uh, started talking to me about like Bitcoin and this must've been, God, I don't know, 2015, 2016, that's roughly about the same time for me when I first started hearing about it through like my own software circles as well. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. and um, I like, of course, immediately forgot about it, uh, and Same. you know, it only came up once, um, and it, it like 
it didn't, it didn't like, uh, it just like didn't stick in my brain. It didn't, I wasn't thinking about it as like money. There were like people who are running some kind of software. I was like, huh, that's weird. And then immediately forgot about it. <laughs> um, so then, uh, let's see, like 20, what was it? 2017 rolled around. And that was the time of like the Ethereum ICOs and Bitcoin went to like, you know, 19 or 20 K, whatever it was. Um, and, uh, it was kind of like left and right. I was hearing about these Ethereum ICO ideas that just seemed like really, really dumb. Um, and like they didn't, uh, none of it made any sense to me, like why you would put any of this stuff on chain, so to speak. Um, and so, Were yeah, you investing I, I, at the time though? Like no, doing that? No, no, no. I mean, it. so I was working, I was, I was like a founder of this startup. I had like equity in it um but i was like not making <laughs> i was not making very much money at all so i basically didn't have any savings um and i definitely wasn't investing in any of this kind of stuff um so yeah i mean like okay so yeah like 2019 came around um and bear market yeah well so it's like i wasn't even thinking so because I wasn't invested in it, it was like, okay, like it went up, right, in 2017. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I should like buy some Bitcoin. And, and then it went down and I was like, oh, I guess I, you know, didn't need to buy any Bitcoin. And then again, just like kind of forgot about it. Um, and so, I mean, it was like, I was only focused on the Web2 sort of startup here. And, uh, you know, didn't, didn't really have any time to think about this other stuff. So... Then the Web2 business uh, ran out of burn. So the, the startup went under. Um, we had this like acquisition deal that went south, and we just like didn't have any other options at the time. We basically didn't find product market fit. We didn't have enough users to raise another round. It just like it wasn't looking great. Um, and so at the time, I was like, oh yeah, so like I went I, I'd been going to Mexico like uh, you know, once a year on this like family vacation. And like I went there and I came back and my co-founders were like, oh, by the way, we ran out of money like two weeks ago and we didn't want to tell you uh, like when you were on vacation um, because it would have like ruined your vacation. And I wasn't I wasn't quite sure how to feel about that, because on the one hand, it probably would have ruined my vacation. And on the other hand, I came back from vacation having spent like some money on vacation and now it just had like no money. So. That's what I was, that's kind of what I was came to mind. I was like, you kind of should have told me because you're telling me I have no more money. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh, by the way, like no more paychecks. Uh, I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, pr that's, that's kind of where I made the jump into finance. So Chicago has like a big kind of FinTech community. Um, there was uh, a guy that I knew that ran like um, kind of the technology arm for a uh, high frequency trading desk for a futures kind of, you know, exchange. And they needed to build this like front end for some sort of um, risk management compliance. Uh, and so I worked with them on that. And that was just like I needed like I needed to, uh, you know, make rent right then. Um, right. And so that's when I started getting outreach from, like, I went on LinkedIn for the first time, you know, in five, six years. Um, and I was like, okay, I like actually have to get a job. Uh, and I started getting outreach from recruiters. Um, and I met a recruiter in Chicago named Alex Nadeau, uh, who is pretty active in the Solana ecosystem now. And he, uh, you know, he had connected me with Jump Trading um, and a bunch of other kind of like the prop shops in Chicago. Um, and I had also gotten outreach from a different recruiter for a company called Tendermint. Um, and this is like a company within the Cosmos ecosystem. Right. And so this was the time it was basically like, choose between like proprietary, like HFT, Chicago, I go to an office every day job um, versus like the uh, remote, like open source blockchain job. Um, and I ended up uh, going with Tendermint. So, so what did that look like? Like you, I mean, like without like going into it too deeply, like you, you're basically working on Tendermint, part of the Cosmos ecosystem, like you did that for like how much time and like, what was your experience like doing that? 
Yeah, I did that for two years. I joined um, as a front-end developer, uh, and I built out you know, a bunch of different tooling for wallets and cryptography um, in JavaScript. Uh, and the Cosmos ecosystem, like all of their software is written in Go primarily. Um, and so there was a couple of things that had to be done for like custom encoding formats that they had that used Go or like, you know, Go with Wasm and they needed to be like built for JavaScript um, to work in browsers. So it was kind of a lot of that stuff. And uh, that's how I started getting interested in Rust and in smart contracts fundamentally. Oh, interesting. Nice. So um, at that point, I guess the next question is, did you work on any other blockchains in between Cosmos and Solana? Um, not exactly in between. So in Cosmos, you build, you build like your own blockchain, you use the Cosmos SDK yep. and like you build your own blockchain, you can connect the blockchain to like other things. But like when you do this, you have to know a lot about the consensus of the blockchain. And like, you're kind of thinking a lot about like the nuts and bolts of the blockchain that you're building. And not much, not as much product. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, there are teams that think about product there, but it's like, um, it's just lower level. You have to have like more knowledge, I feel like, um, of how the blockchain works. You don't deploy programs or smart contracts to the chain. You like deploy a whole chain that like does stuff that programs or smart <laughs> contracts might do. Um, right. So I just felt like it was a lot. I really didn't like writing Go. Um, I felt like it was a weird layer of abstraction for application developers to build on. And so that's when I started kind of looking at the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, and I started reading through Solidity and, you know, if you've read Solidity, I think it's, it's pretty easy for the most part to read through a contract and kind of like to generally understand what it's doing. Um, and I think that it's cool because you basically take the Solidity contract, you deploy it, and then you build a front end for it. And that's kind of it, right? In the simple case. Um, and Solana is like that too. Uh, so I started, uh, at Solana. Um, and you know, the recruiter that I had met, uh, a couple of years back, Alex, he was recruiting for Solana and he was friends with Bartos. Um, and so I met Bartos in Chicago, uh, and I met like Jordan Prince and Jerry Zhao and like some of the other people that were joining labs about two years ago, uh, and started working with them. And at the same time, I was sort of like building some stuff in Solidity um, as like a side project, uh, and it was being deployed on Binance Smart Chain. Uh, with your brother, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was working on it with Jesse. Uh, there was a developer in Poland um, and uh, this like guy who was working on marketing in the UK. We didn't get super far with it, um, and it was also just, you know, that was the first six months that I was at Labs. There was so much work to do. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with that. Yeah. So I guess the question is just like, okay, so you're on Cosmos, you're, you're like doing some stuff on Solidity and Ethereum, you meet Bartosh and Jordan Prince <clears throat> and they're doing stuff at Solana. You have a recruiter trying to get you to come to Solana. Like what made you to sort of make that decision to make that jump? You know, at the time it was like, I read through the, you know, seven or eight um, kind of uh, core technologies, those articles on, they were at least deployed to like Medium. Eight core innovations? Yeah, yeah, the eight core innovations. Um, I think there were only seven of them. In fact, there was like a dead Yes, there's eight now. <laughs> there's eight, there's eight now, so. that's good. I'm glad they, <laughs> they found some more. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I read through that and it was just another one of those like moments where it really clicked for me. Like I saw kind of the limitations um, that I thought that these like non-smart contract blockchains like Cosmos had. I saw the performance limitations of kind of like the EVM um, and sort of the, the programming model of Solidity, which I think is like easy to get into, but actually hard to build complicated things in. Um, and it just made a ton of sense to me. And so Alex, you know, being like a good recruiter was like, hey, like you should talk to these guys, but you should also talk to, you know, these guys and these guys and these guys and try to talk to as many of these different companies as you can. And I told him, no, I was like, I'm going to like 
go through the interview process with Solana. And I'm going to wait until they 100% turn me down before I talk to anybody else. Oh um, yeah. And so that is how I ended up here. Uh, it was a pretty grueling PR process. I think I was effectively interviewing for, I don't know, like two months or something like that. Um, where I did a ton of PRs. Yeah. Yeah. The way that labs does it, it's not a traditional sort of thing. You meet some people, you get some tough questions, but really it's like, here's some really hard challenges. Figure it the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Early rounds of interviews went pretty well. And then I met with, uh, Justin Starry and the interview that I had with him went terribly. Um, <laughs> I could tell that it didn't go well. I could tell that he didn't think that I could hack it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he gave me like a pretty challenging PR to do in Rust, and I never coded Rust before. Um, so I, you know, I didn't. I guess they didn't really give me a timeline for the PR, but I think I spent about two weeks um, on it and like working on this thing and learning enough Rust to be able to complete it. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I like. I mean, the the, the Solana, the core Solana sort of like um interviews and and like and even sort of the product ones like they're infamous for like a lot of people will be like should i interview for solana labs like core and i'm like if you like if you're if you like pain sure um and if you think you have the chops <laughs> and like everybody definitely should but like starry is is a no shit no bullshit type of guy i didn't realize that you had actually interviewed with him um so you you made it yeah. through the gauntlet man you got hired and like you impressed somebody obviously yeah, and it was sort of like that became my first project. So at the time, Starry was working on the SPL lending program. Um, and so the PR that I did for him was for that program. And then when I joined, I basically just like took over the development of that program. Um, he was still uh, like helping me and mentoring me and doing PR reviews and stuff like that. But it was, it was an interesting process. I was like, I didn't realize I was being hired to take over that program, but that's what happened. <laughs> Yeah. And then like, you're a front end engineer, but you liked Rust and you were doing, I remember whenever I first met you and you talked that you, you did some stuff on these lending and some of these sort of, um, uh, just open source, uh, projects to, so people could understand, like truly just understand how this stuff works like on Solana, which is like, was super impactful, um, for that. But then like, yeah. there was a point, there was a point though, when you stopped doing that and then you became like, like, I, I want to sort of like lead into like what you have sort of done so far. I know like you've been involved in Wallet Adapter, Solana Pay, and I know there's probably a lot of things within that that I actually have no idea about, but love to hear like just like at a high level, like the stuff that, that you've actually been working on since you've been here. Yeah. So I think the, um, the work on the lending program was that was like just before maybe the second hackathon that. Uh, we ran, and that was pretty. I think the the work that I did on the lending program was mostly completed by like June of 2021. Um, okay, and you know, Solend and Tulip and um, a bunch of these different like protocols were using that open source stuff as a reference implementation and building on top of it, and. You know, I was not, I was like an expert in DeFi or lending or Solana programs or anything like that um, before this. So I built that stuff out. It was a reference implementation. Um, they took it much further. And then at that point, I think like they became experts on that stuff. Um, and so it didn't necessarily make sense for me to keep working on that. Um, it wasn't like the token program where like we deploy it and we like audit it and we, we manage the life cycle. Um, in some ways it was like they started using it when it, when it was in a rougher state uh, than that. So they just came to own it uh, by default. And then they took it to the next level and then people, I mean like that's the power. We talk about this a lot. Like that's the power of open source um, is like you build this reference implementation. Somebody takes that over, makes it their own. Hopefully they keep it open source. Um, yeah. And then more people are able to continue just like iterating on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was pretty crazy. There was like zero documentation, um, <laughs> like none at all. Uh, there was like whatever documentation existed before, was like worse than useless because it was totally incorrect and out of date because we made so many changes to the stuff without updating the docs or the front end or whatever. 
Um, so they had to do a ton to make that, that stuff useful. Yeah. Typically you go into discord and you ask like somebody like Trent, like, Hey, how do I, where's the documentation? It's like, read the tests, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, um, but those were the old days. I think you said you completed that in June. Like I joined in May. So like roughly around that time, which I think is when you started to make the switch to some of the more front end stuff. That was like, um, sort of like I took that project, you know, I think as far as I needed to take it for other people to take it over, uh, and then the wallet adapter stuff, I think that came as like a request from Bartos. Um, he had written like an early prototype of something called like wallet provider. And that was used in like whatever existed before, like the DAP scaffold, uh, like yep. Oyster front end. The, or whatever the old DAP called. scaffold. Yes, I remember it well. Yeah. Yeah, so there was like Oyster Lending and Oyster Swap. And I don't know. I actually never learned where Oyster came from. Um, <laughs> I always question the same thing. I don't know if I ever asked anybody. I just somebody was like, okay, knows. Yeah. somebody out there. We got to go back in the command history and figure out who knows about Oyster. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, started working on that and started seeing like, you know, how many different wallets there were building on Solana. There weren't nearly as many at the time. I'd like to say we probably have like, I mean, we've got like 30 something, 35 wallet adapters. And those are just the ones in that repo. Like, I would guess that we've got like 50 wallets at least. At that time, it was mostly just Solid and Phantom, really, I think. It was, yeah. Like, Phantom was pretty new then, too. Yeah, it was like Solid. There was a Ledger. uh, There was a Ledger adapter. Um, That was actually the first PR that I wrote on Solana was like... um, adding uh support for like ledger and i'm not sure soulflare even had like a like a um chrome uh widget or chrome extension at that point i think their wallet no, might have just been so. the, the, just web, the web one yeah, yeah everybody was using this like kind of the weird solid web type interface where they would open up a a new window um so you took so you took that what bartosh has created then you basically just like advance that as much as you could as well in terms of just like taking this thing that's pretty good and trying to make it easier for like D apps to implement this. Yeah. So it was like, there were new wallets being added. Like, so there were some wallets that started doing like, you know, signing on chain and doing like multi-sigs and stuff like that. So they needed like a common interface. Um, And then because I'd been building kind of like this other uh, EVM based application, I had built a cu- bunch of custom like wallet adapter type stuff for that too, um, because it's like actually detecting which wallets are on the page uh, is a problem in Ethereum land too. Uh, and so I took you know what I learned from that and started seeing like, hey, it's going to be a problem if everybody uses like window.solana as like where they put their wallet on the page. Um, and so we started like guiding wallets away from doing that. And instead, like using this adapter model that was more flexible. Um, and that, of course, you know, ended up having its own problems down the line. And then like, so just to sort of jump forward, like sort of quickly, like I know you had worked on the wallet adapter. You were like the wallet adapter guy for like the longest time. And then I'm pretty sure you and I had a discussion and you were like, all right, I think I've had my time here. I have this and I don't want to give you credit if it's not credit to you, but like the Solana pay, like you were, you were like, was it you that said I have this idea for this thing? No, no. So this was, um, this was like one of those things where the, the wallet adapter work had gotten to a reasonable point of stability. Like we'd gone through a ton of API breakage and stuff like that. And like the API had stabilized. It was used by a bunch of applications. Um, and the idea for like doing payments on Solana or like making that easier is something that had already existed. I think that Shiraz, you know, had already joined. Um, he came from a payments background at Google. Josh Fried had already joined. There wasn't a clear idea of like what they were going to build, but they were doing a bunch of research into like how payments on Solana um, represented an opportunity uh, and like the different dimensions it could take. And then it got to a point where they were like, okay, we need like some engineering help to figure out what we're actually going to build based on these ideas. Um, and so they asked if any engineers were free. 
Uh, and that's basically how I started working on that. And um, you and you basically built that entire like V1 protocol um, by yourself. Um, and how yeah. long did that take to build that? Uh, well, let's see. So I think the idea first came up back in like October of 2021. Um, we launched Solana Pay in at the beginning of February uh, 22. Yeah. Um, so there was like, you know, about a six month period. Not all of it was working on that protocol, but there was like a bunch of there was a bunch of like ideation and like even throwaway stuff that was built during that time to try to figure out. So, for example, streaming or like subscription payments was like something that we talked about building quite a bit. And we built some early prototypes for how that might work. And then we looked at it and we were like, okay, people in the ecosystem are already building something like this effectively. We don't think that like we as labs need to like jump in and like do this thing. Um, and so then it became about like sort of the Solana pay protocol. Um, and the basis for that, there was like an old issue on the uh, Solana core repo. I think that Michael Vines had, um, there's a protocol called BIP21 for Bitcoin that basically has like a Bitcoin link followed by, you know, some parameters and Trust Wallet had implemented that. Um, and so uh, I took a look at that and there were some ideas that came from Michael Vines and some engineers who worked at uh, FTX and um, we talked with Trust Wallet and we talked with Phantom. We got their feedback around like, how this could be useful, and then kind of spec'd out that protocol. And then in the process of that, it's like the whole plan for Solana Pay is like we needed to launch it before this hackathon so that the, the payments track that was sponsored, um, I think by Visa, could be announced and people could start building payment solutions on top of that. Um, and so there were a lot of ideas for Solana Pay that didn't make it into the initial release. Uh, but since then, we've kind of been able to expand on it and add those things. Yeah, and cool story. Like, I know you guys were getting that ready for that hackathon. And then, like, Mountain Dow's happening. TJ Littlejohn is like, I don't know what I'm going to build for the hackathon. And it's like, I'll build Mountain Pay and literally implement it at this, like, little cafe within the place that we're staying. And did that, like, in a very short amount of time. Launched Mountain Pay. And now... If so facto, long story short, he's the now lead dev for Solana Pay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's a pretty cool story and like how all those things sort of tied together. And it was awesome that Solana Pay launched and somebody was able to be like, oh shit, look at this thing. And then immediately convert that into a product. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, we've got, you know, like a Solana Pay channel in Slack and we still share stuff like that all the time. Um, people in the ecosystem are continually like... There's a lot of things that, you know, we had like an idea for like, oh, it would be cool if somebody did this. And we never talked about that idea publicly. And then like in a short amount of time, like people came up with those things independently through their understanding of how it worked. So awesome. Yeah. So um, in a minute, we're going to do a speed round, but I do sort of want to like, just like talk briefly about like after that sort of like you being heavily involved in payments, you actually shifted back into the wallet world pretty heavily to come up and like work on the wallet standard, which is like, makes it, um, I don't know, a million times easier to actually um, have wallets implemented like in dApps without having to do all this extra sort of like legwork of like manually adding those wallets into that like wallet adapter. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, it was based on the last whatever year and a half of working on Solana pay, working on stuff for wallets. Um, Steve Lusher had joined the team by then. He'd sent a bunch of PRs to wallet adapter and uh, he had this idea of like, um, instead of like, you know, instead of pulling uh, with a timer or whatever in JavaScript to look for wallets on the page, we could like use a Google Analytics style script where like you just create an array and then you have like wallets like push themselves onto that array to like create a list. Um, and it's a really interesting idea because not only does it remove this problem of polling for wallets, but it also means that like wallets inherently don't conflict with each other. 
they can like all exist in the same namespace. Um, and so we changed that around, uh, you know, in working on the wallet standard. And then we involved a bunch of different people from kind of the Solana ecosystem. Um, we got a lot of feedback from Exodus. We got feedback from Soulflare, from Glow, uh, from Phantom. And then we like, this was around the time where um, the Saga had, I think, just been announced. And the mobile wallet adapter protocol was also being developed. And so there's a lot of crossover between like what Stephen Labor's team for Saga uh, kind of needed those APIs to accomplish and what we needed to. So we tried to plan for a lot of those things. Um, but there's a lot of similar stuff in both of those. And I think we'll, we'll converge even more over time. The goal for all this stuff is like, um, it's, it's cool that we can truly codify what wallets do today and like describe their feature set in an accurate way. Um, it's going to be even cooler when we can use that like shared API between them to actually like start to add stuff to the API. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm really excited about. I've been pretty into like privacy on chain and privacy tools. Um, so like talking to elusive and light protocol and looking at the confidential token program as part of token 2022. And like all of these things are things that um, they require like more advanced cryptography than what's currently available in wallets. And so if we can start to push that stuff into the standard and make that stuff available in wallets, we can like unlock these privacy applications and make the user experience for them feel much more natural. And I think like that stuff is really interesting to me just because I think that we have a right to financial privacy. And I think that right now, blockchains aren't delivering, um, technically speaking, on that. And so like we, we have to do some kind of fundamental groundwork laying to get that. Cool. Yeah, I mean, like lots of big promises about confidential sort of things, but nothing's really landed yet. I mean, I have no doubt that like, that you are, if, if you're passionate about this, that you're going to end up solving it. Um, but so, so just to recap, like you joined, you did, you basically took the lending program across the line. You took Bartosh's sort of wallet provider into the, the early days wallet adapter, um, built the Solana pay protocol and got that as far switch back to the wallet standard and working on wallet stuff. And now you're sort of like really thinking heavily about like confidential transaction stuff. Um, is yeah. that, is that pretty much sum it up? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, outside of like the lending protocol stuff, I still have an interest in DeFi. Um, and there's like elements of that that I want to keep working on. It's actually been quite a while since I've written a meaningful amount of Rust. Uh, and I feel a certain sense of pain from that. Um, <laughs> it's I, calling I, you, man. It's calling it's ca you. Yeah, it's calling me. And also, I mean, it's just like, I think there's a degree to which at Solana Labs, like, we're not building the type of applications that a lot of the ecosystem is. And so like, it's important that we do that sometimes so that we really like yep. understand the pain points that they experience. Um, like my experience in building applications is what informed like how I built wallet adapter and the wallet standard and stuff like that. And the further I get away from that application level experience, like the more theoretic my knowledge becomes and the less practically useful. Um, and so I do feel like a sense where I need to get embedded with some product building teams, um, more than I have been to be able to like solve some real problems for them. I mean, like that sounds like the perfect thing that, that, that most people should be doing. Um, so that's awesome. So we're going to jump over and we're going to sort of shift gears outside of like, um, your, your work at, at labs and sort of do a little bit of a speed round, like, Whenever I joined here, the developer experience was literally Discord and the core documentation. We've since then we've seen like the Solana cookbook. We've seen lots of like tools like wallet adapter. We've seen indexers. We've seen all this shit built. Like, what do you think? Like, how much has the ecosystem improved in terms of like developer experience? Whether it's content, whether it's tooling, whether it's whatever. You, I mean, you quantify it however you want. Whether you want to say one to ten or like actually just like 
because it was really, really hard to build on Solana in those early days. And now, yeah, like, totally, things are changing a lot. Um, so, like, how, like, what do you think that that, that the that change has been? Yeah, I mean, initiatives like the Cookbook um, Stack Exchange uh, have been incredibly helpful. I also think that there's much more of a well, like, there's a much more well developed Twitter community um, yep. for Solana now, and there's a lot of support to be found there. Like you can realistically ask development questions and tag some people on Twitter um, and get answers to some of this kind of stuff. I think back in the day, we had an approach that really didn't scale. Like it was like, like you said, it was Trent and uh, me and core engineers. It was like like core, core engineers and stuff like that, that were just like answering questions one-on-one in discord. And I think at this point that stuff you know, Jacob Creech has done a great job uh, and the whole DevRel team have done a great job. Like, in some sense, like, I often forget the DevRel team exists because they're doing such a good job. Um, it used to be the case that all of this stuff was hitting engineering and now it just doesn't hit me and I sort of, like, forget that it's happening all of the time. Um, <laughs> That's, but I, like, the I best know, case scenario, literally. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that it's because, uh, like, the DevRel team is doing a killer job. Yeah, I mean, Jacob's the lead now. Like, he took over from whenever I was working there and is actually, like, I won't lie, like, I just made a bunch of stuff up and it kind of worked. And <laughs> then <know>. Jacob took <laughs> o- and then Jacob took over the role and just, like, took it all to the next level. And, like, him and Donnie and, and Colin and, and Joe all... And now we have, now we have um, Jonas, who's the gaming DevRel. We actually have Nick, who just joined, is, like, going to be working, focusing heavily on actually the core documentation and turning that into, like... The, the North Star for that is like reaching more of like a Stripe style documentation yeah. opposed to sort of like this four-year-old written by original founders documentation that we have that's just massive paragraphs and whatever. Like it's, it's not a knock. It was just like it never got the love it deserved. And now like that team is set to really take it to the next level. So I'm super stoked about that. For sure, yeah. I've always been, um, it's always been great like how hands-on uh, some of the DevRel people like Colin and Callum. Um, it's like not just like developer relations, like they've jumped in, I mean, with protocol stuff, with engineering, with PRs, um, with fleshing out a lot of these ideas. So like they do a ton, not just in education, but also in development of some of the core stuff. Yeah, now Jacob's collating the core dev community call. It's not really a responsibility of his, but like he was like, I'll do it. So like yeah. all these things are just like incredible to see. So I got a couple speed round questions for you. And like we're just gonna be like first thing that comes to your mind, like what sucks about developing on Solana? You know, one of Solana's strengths is that we build a lot of stuff really quickly. Um a th- problem this introduces is churn. Uh, so there are, you know, a ton of changes to RPCs, to kind of transaction formats, to what wallets can do. Um, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of the tooling is still in its infancy because it's still rough, not as rough as it used to be, um, but there's still a lot changing all the time. And this is like really difficult to keep up with. For dApp developer. developers who literally are like constantly chasing this moving target. <laughs> Yeah, and and I mean, at some level, it's like they're trying to think about how to get users, how to build product and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, you know, by the way, like the transaction format is changing. You have to do this, this, and this now. Like, oh, you want your transactions to get through. You've got like priority fees. Like all of these things are great because they saved the network. They made us be able to uh, like keep up with the demand for block space and, and transactions. But at the same time, um, that's a lot that application developers and wallet developers and things like that have to keep up with. So I would say like uh, moving fast creates a lot of churn. That churn factors through the ecosystem in lots of ways. It's hard to keep up with documentation and practices and tooling around those things. Um, that's one of the things that sucks. Uh, I'd say the other thing that sucks is sort of like the... You know, I, I won't say too much about this just because I feel like this is sort of a well-understood problem now, but it's like um, when you build Solana programs, like you work at a pretty low level of abstraction and there's all this knowledge of like accounts and things like that that you have to have. Um, 
that tends to make front ends complex as well. And then you start having to think about like, all right, how are you going to get all this data from these accounts? You need like custom indexers for everything, like geyser plugins. Um, so there's just like a lot that you need to do to build an actual user-facing application that performs at some kind of scale. And those things are just really hard to do. Uh, it's a lot of work. Well, luckily we have groups like Helios and some of these other guys that literally are spending every day in and out like to solve those problems. Ironforge is going to be solving some really strong problems. Like their focus is really turning Solana development into like more like a Web2 feel. And like I'm super excited for those things. So we're, yeah. I think we're like trending in the right direction. But right, like you said, there's a moving target here and there is a lot of knowledge. Like Anchor did a good job of help abstracting away some of that annoying thing that you yeah. have to know know but yeah, at the great. same time it's not we're not there yet but you know we like we move we move fast as hell and it, like it sucks in the meantime but like the north star here is just like this beast of a of a developer experience and like also you know we have a seahorse lang which is like going to be super powerful to build smart contracts on solana there's a couple groups focused on a typescript version of this which I think yep. a handful of us are excited about. Yeah, very and excited about that. Yeah, just like trying to, and just to capture as many developers as possible. Like Chewing Glass is learning Solana and learning Rust at the exact same time, pretty much. Um, and if you can remove one of those away, um, and just like you have to understand Solana, but you can also like use a, a language you're comfortable with for learning, it's going to really help with the onboarding. Even if they move to Rust later, that's fine. Yeah, I think that stuff is great. So what's so okay also to follow up with that we said what sucks about Solana what is like great about Solana like what makes like what is like the good things about building on Solana for you A thing that sucks is this idea that you have to like pass in all of your accounts you know to to every instruction right um, on the other hand that feature of the runtime uh, makes like code generation tools much more possible and much more advanced so you can do a ton with code generation because you have this like static knowledge of your dependencies that's part of the program or part of an idl or some other some other format like this um, so it's kind of one of those things where like that stuff is rough right now but as that stuff gets resolved the basis that you have for building advanced things on top of that is much better than if you didn't have that uh, and you had just like a much more fuzzy inference of what kind of inputs a program is going to need to have. Um, so in terms of what's great about building on Solana, the developer community on Solana is very cohesive um, and very accessible. Like you really can reach out to the top developers on Solana that are working on, you know, amazing projects, whether it's open source or closed source, like even if they're building stuff that isn't open source, you can reach out to them with questions um, and they will get back to you. Uh, yep. Like whether it's on Twitter or like Telegram or whatever, it's like, it is very easy to, in my view, like get connected in the Solana ecosystem um, and to like get the respect of uh, the people that you're working with. Yeah. So other things that are, are great about Solana or like trending better, um, there's definitely more open source, more open source advocacy that's happening. Um, we've seen like some really interesting stuff like the squad's multi-sig wallet. We've seen a lot of the major DeFi protocols that have come out like Ellipsis, uh, Margin, Zeta, I think like uh, Drift, like all all open sourcing or making source available code or um, making firm commitments to do this. Uh, and so I'm really excited about that stuff. I think that will only strengthen the already strong developer community that we have because it will create this like feedback loop where, you know, you contribute to open source, like the developer community sees that they grow in skill level. They also feel like they should contribute to open source because it's like how they learned. Um, all that kind of stuff, I think, is only going to get better over time. Yeah, for sure. And to round it all out, off the the thing that I always like to ask um, every guest on here is is really just. What's your advice to somebody who's considering building on Solana? Um, like anything about like 
what what sort of motivational advice can you give them? Because everybody starts to hear like it's hard to build. I, do I need to learn Rust? Like what like what is the thing that you would tell that person um, to make sure that that they can they can do it? You know, I know Solana. Uh, often people say that it's hard to build on Solana. Um, I actually just think it's hard to build great products in general, and um, Solana doesn't actually make it that much harder in that way. I think like if you are say a web two developer and you're thinking about building on Solana, one of the best things that you can do is just like make the web two side of products better. Um, that can look like product design uh, and sort of development of the user experience. It can look like performance optimization of front ends. It can look like native mobile applications. Like I think Solana is the only chain that is fast enough and cheap enough where you could start to do some of these things where the performance difference for something like a, a you know mobile web app versus a native app is really going to matter. Um, and so I think that like we should get more developers from kind of like the Web2 background to start doing things on Solana. They don't have to know about smart contracts they don't really have to know that much about how Solana works. Like, there's a ton of low-hanging fruit in terms of performance optimization and native development that can be done to improve these web applications. And I think, like, when we do that, it's really going to deliver on kind of like the the promise that we know Solana has for real users. So, like, when they come and they use an application that is backed by Solana it's going to feel like a good Web2 application. Um, so I don't think that people should feel daunted by like, oh, like Solana development is hard. I have to like learn a lot about Solana development. I think like if you are, say, a, uh, a good React developer and you come to many Solana teams that are building something with React and you identify like a performance problem that they have and you show them how to fix that problem. That's an example of something you don't need to know anything about Solana to do. And basically every application on Solana that's built in React has performance problems. So there's like a huge uh, opportunity for you. And you don't have to have a bunch of knowledge about Solana to access that opportunity. That's actually like the first, you're the first, like there's a lot of like people who say similar things. That's the first time that, that, that anybody's sort of given that sort of advice. And I think it's a really great point. It's a good starting point to just test the waters of like doing something cool that you're familiar with while peeping under the hood and seeing like what's the Solana version of this stuff and then slowly but surely like taking on some PRs that like are more Solana focused and learn it over time yeah. so that's that's really great advice well Jordan that is time for the day um, thank you for joining this was awesome I think a lot of people are going to appreciate appreciate hearing your sort of story and your sort of thoughts and insights onto like building on Solana so thanks for everything you do good sir and we will talk to you later cool man Cheers. it's great working with you